0: Good morning, my name is Ed Sherman, I, on campus I go by Dr. Ed because my last name is, you can see is uh, actually a German spelling, we say, it's actually pronounced Sherman, but for my students it's easier to just call me Dr. Ed. Last time I was here, Tim was doing that bicycle ride and it got kind of cold, How many, anyone here on that ride with him? Yeah, you know what I'm, uh, so now he's in warm Florida <laughs> at Disney. I don't know, I think it would be nice for you to hear your elders preach once in a while, don't you think? <laughs> I guess I just ruled out getting invited back again. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about uh, the wisdom of God today. I've been putting together a series of messages on God's attributes, uh, actually putting together a book on living out God's attributes in a cross-cultural situation since we spent 23 year of our years overseas in Uh, China, Hong Kong, and Thailand, and um, now I'm finishing up my fifth year at LBC. I'm the coordinator for the Intercultural Studies major, which basically means I'm the missions guy. And some of you may recall a number of years ago, Carol and I were here for the um, uh, Vacation Bible School where we did a series on on missions. But now I'm, I'm focused. God's been focusing for about three or four, maybe even more years, on just focusing on who He is. Even in the songs that Jan and her team. Uh, Let us in worship. You can see some of his attributes, especially today, his attribute of holiness. You know, if you were to think about his attributes and who he is, and whenever we talk about an attribute of a person, God or otherwise, we always have that two-sided coin of this is who he is. How do I know that? Because I see what he does. I mean, for example, if I were to call someone generous, well, how do I know that person is generous? But I see that person giving to others. So when I see, say, God is loving. We know God is loving because He loved us uh, so much that He gave His only begotten Son. So today we're going to talk about wisdom, and I'm going to just start by reading from Proverbs 3. And just to sort of lay a groundwork here, um, Proverbs is the book of wisdom. By the way, how many of you have a diploma of some kind? Any, any diploma? Okay. This is the week of graduation here. We've finished our uh, coursework on Friday. This coming week, the students are taking their final now, I don't give exams. My students know that I give opportunities. <laughs> opportunities to demonstrate what they've learned. Um, and they say, well, if it smells like a duck, it, it, it's, it's, it's an exam, Dr. Ed. <laughs> um, but I give opportunities and I uh, have one uh, tomorrow afternoon. And then on Friday is commencement or graduation. And this, uh, for our, our president, he calls this our, our, the faculty and staff, this is our payday. We get to see the students walk across the stage and after completing their, um, all their coursework. And we see that diploma and we think, ah, that person's really smart. But the question is, are they wise? And you know there's a difference between being smart and being wise. And um, I would be very unwise if I didn't also mention that my wife Carol, who's right here, graduates this Friday with her master's in counseling. And so we're excited for that. <laughs> I fulfilled my daily embarrassment obligation. <laughs> so, Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 1 and going through verse 20. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands at your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. I don't think he was talking about the tablet as we talk about today. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine." My son, do not despise the Lord's disciplines, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace." She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the deeps were divided, and the clouds let deep to dew. This is a pretty amazing statement of what God's wisdom does, how he lives out his wisdom. And then for us, I mean, this is a fantastic passage about the benefits of being wise. But I want to back up a little bit here and talk about um, attributes of God in, in general. Why should we even study these attributes? So just giving a little bit of groundwork here. And um, we have perpetuated this Martha-Mary dichotomy very much in our evangelical Christian world. We want, how many of you have heard it said, we don't want to be doers, we want to be beers? Have you heard that before? Oh, Martha, Martha. Mary has chosen the better way by sitting at the Master's feet and being at his feet. You're doing, 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 and to be honest, our culture is very heavy on performance. We have actually, and this is a separate sermon, but we have moved from having a grace-filled salvation, a grace-based salvation, to a works-based sanctification, where we feel it's necessary for us to do in order for God to be pleased with us. That's not how we can. And when Paul writes to the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, why would you, having come to Christ by faith in grace alone, now return to living by works as if that's what's going to keep you in God's favor? And so we get this mentality that do, 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 that's good. But no, no, no. Even better is being. And I would would contend to you that even more important that before the doing comes the being, but before the being comes the knowing. Knowing who God is helps us to be who we are in Christ, which in turn helps us to do what will honor him. And today we're going to focus on knowing his wisdom so that we can be wise and do wise things. But the same thing could be said for almost all of his attributes. But there's there's two different kinds of attributes that we talk about, um, those that we can actually be and those that we can actually do. But here in Psalm 46.10 you see a great verse about be still and know that I am God. Now, most of you know that part of the verse. Did you know that the second part is actually has a missional emphasis? I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in all the earth. So the implication is that the more I know God, the more I become like Christ, the more I will make him known to the world. We are never blessed just to be blessed, we are blessed to be a blessing to others. We never know something new about God for the sake of knowing something about God. We, are, we learn about him so that we can make him known to others. It never stops right here. This is never the end result. And so when we talk about... Uh, what is the, you've, how many of you have seen the Westminster Catechism? What is the chief end of man? A little bit louder? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay, the very first part of the Westminster Catechism... Your chief purpose, your most important thing to do in all this world is to glorify God, to bring glory to Him. When we sing about His attributes, we are bringing glory to Him, shining the light on who He is and enjoy Him forever. We don't do that very well in this part of the country, don't, do we? We have that mentality that I have to work for God and we almost get this mentality of managing my sin so that God will be pleased with me. When He's... You know, some people have this view that God's up there looking down on us. Are you having fun down there? Well, cut it out. And this sour, works-based... God wants us to enjoy Him. And we need, we need to grow in, in that mentality of learning how to enjoy Him. And one of the ways to do that is to look at His attributes and learn more about, about who He is. This is a list of several of God's attributes. This is actually taken from Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy, or, uh, also, uh, or you could, God's Attributes. And so there are many different ways to classify God's attributes. This is just one of many. It's the one that I uh, find most helpful and, and beneficial. But when we talk about this, we need to realize two different things. First of all, God is not the sum of all of his attributes. We don't look at this one, in this case, wisdom. And then we, like blocks, I have a granddaughter, Jaina, who likes to build things with blocks. And we don't take God's attributes and build them on one another and keep them distinct. You know, It's not like a salad where... I've got, here's my, favorite, my different things in the south. It's more like a stew where they all come together and after a while, you, a good s- soup even, where you don't really realize where one thing, they all come together for a good meal, if you will. But also, we need to rec- remember that uh, no one attribute stands alone. We, when we look at wisdom today, we have to remember that it is connected to so many other attributes that God has. So while we'll focus on wisdom today, we cannot neglect mentioning some of the others as we go, as we go along the way. So, um, one of the things that becomes very obvious when you start classifying the attributes is that there are many different ways to classify them. And so, for me, what I've done is I've chosen this one of many ways to classify his attributes, his communicable and non-communicable attributes. Communicable simply means it's true of him, and to some extent, it is also, hopefully in growing measure, true of me. So for example, in first John four, we love because He first loved us. God is love, and we love because so yes, we we will never love like God does, but we should increasingly move in that direction, shouldn't we? And to the extent that people see us loving as he loved, they will also see him. John three thirty, I must increase, he I must decrease, he must increase. Okay, so different attributes. We're gonna see that happening. Um, Ben Franklin wrote his autobiography, it was called The Autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, and in that he discussed 13 different character qualities that he wanted to grow in, and he chose one at a time, and his his philosophy was, when I get perfect in this one, I'll move on to the next one. Yeah, (laughs) when does anyone ever become perfect in any one of these attributes? And while we want to focus on one today, we're never going to perfect that, we want to Grow in that as we also try to focus on another at another time. My students oftentimes in our classes will we will have a character contract in our classes. Any class in the church and ministry leadership department that you take, you have a character that you focus on for that semester. And you have to come up with three learning tasks. One at the head level, one at the heart level, one at the hand level. Where you for that whole semester you're going to focus on that character quality. So at the end of the semester, Hopefully, you've grown somewhat. We ask them to score themselves from one to ten at the beginning of the semester and the end of the semester. Now, there are a few times when people actually go down because they realize after studying it that they were worse than they thought they were, but generally speaking, we're looking for someone to grow in that character quality with an accountability partner. It's, not, it's a, what I think is sometimes is a very, very helpful thing for them. So there's communicable attributes, and then there are non-communicable attributes. An example of that would be his omnipresence. I can never be more than one place at a time. No matter how often I've tried now, how helpful I would think it would be, I cannot do that. But his omnipresence can have an impact on me and the way that I live out that knowledge. And so, in this case, we're talking about, what do you think wisdom is? Is wisdom communicable or non-communicable? It should be communicable. We will never be wise like God. But as we learn more about his wisdom, it should help us to become more wise in the decisions that we make and what we do. So, for each of these attributes, we should be able to answer these these three questions. What does it mean? How does it impact me? And then, how do I live it out? both internally and externally. Look at this quote by Tozer here. It says, all of our problems and their solutions are theological. Some knowledge of what kind of God it is that operates the universe is indispensable to a sound philosophy of life and a sane outlook on the world scene. That first sentence, all of our problems basically are theological. Now, I want to be careful that I just don't throw Bible verses at everything that comes to my life. But I need to see things from God's point of view. So as we start to talk about God's wisdom, one of the things we need to start with right away is to recognize my wisdom and God's wisdom are not the same. In fact, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and we see the first time that man walked away from God's wisdom and said that my wisdom is better than his, And I want to show you a short video clip now. This is going to date it for some of you. Some of you will remember when Bill Cosby used to do that um, Kids Say the Darnest Things or something like that. And then even fewer of you will remember that Art Linkletter did it long before Bill Cosby did. And this is a clip of Art Linkletter. This is probably from from the 60s or so, talking to some children. And as they get into discussion about Adam and Eve and what happened at the tree, listen to what they say. Uh, Okay. Uh, Did I already miss it? No, I'm sorry. Hold on a sec. I I I messed up here. Um, Yeah, okay, okay. So let me go past here. Here we go. What
1: do you want to be when you grow up as a grown man? An actor and an artist.
0: An actor in motion pictures? Mm
1: -hmm. Let me give you a little test. Have you ever done any acting? Yeah. Well, try it. Say Art Linkletter like you're mad. Art Linkletter like you're mad. That's good. You're going to be a work What do you think you'll be when you grow up? A bus driver or a pilot. A bus driver or a pilot? Yes. Well, suppose you were a pilot on a big airplane and suddenly all four engines stopped right away. What would you say? Our father returned to everybody. <laughs> Who's the most important man in the world today, in your opinion? George Washington. George Washington. That's right. He's married, isn't he? Yes, sir. You know who his wife is? Miss America. I bet you before you came down here, they all gave you orders today, didn't they? Very important before you come on a coast-to-coast show. Paula Brown, what did your parents tell you? Um, to keep my legs together. <laughs> How does that story go? One time there was God, and God made Adam out of dust, and then He put Adam to sleep and made Eve out of a rare rib. And then out of God. What kind of a rib? Rare. A rare rib. <laughs> God said, "Adam and Eve, don't eat the apple tree, or I'll punish you." And then the devil came along. And kind of hypnotized them, and then the God went to see someone, and then they got real sick, and then they, and then they hided, then they hided from God, and they threw up. And he took the first bite. And. then Eve. And Eve, um... Boy, I bet God was mad. Yeah, then God sent them to hell and they transferred on to, um, Los Angeles. <laughs> we learned from this that all Adam and Eve have a, had a whole mess of babies. How did God punish Eve? Well, um, he made Adam um, sit down and Read the Bible. uh, Write the Bible. Sat down and wrote the Bible. Yeah. What did he do with Eve? He made her what? Oh, a housewife.
0: (laughs) Next week is Mother's Day, right? (laughs) So some of some of the lessons that we uh, learn about. Uh, from Genesis 3 about God's wisdom and man's wisdom, first of all, is that man's limited perspective, and it is limited, but man's limited perspective uh, led to the rejection of God's wisdom. Okay, think about the conversation that happened there. Did God really say? Okay, first of all, did you understand what he, and then, but that's not, I mean, we're smarter than him because we're wiser. If he really meant that, then he goes, wait a minute, Why would he not want you to have the knowledge of good from evil? And at that point, when they first took that bite, they made a decision that their wisdom was better than God's wisdom. They ceased to trust in God's wisdom and what he had said. And then also, um, there's a difference between knowing good and evil versus knowing good from evil. And uh, sometimes we know, but we don't really know. And we think we know what we know, but we don't really know what we think we know. And we have to have God really speak into our hearts, into our minds, to make sure that we understand what it is that we need to know. So here's another quote from Tozer. The God who sits on high, who made the heaven and the earth, has got to be wise, or else you and I cannot be sure of anything. We lean on his wisdom. We depend on it. In the same way that you mothers, as we get ready to celebrate Mother's Day, your children lean on your, your wisdom even more than they realize. And when it comes to parenting, we have wisdom that our children don't yet have. You've heard it said how you know, early on they think that you are God and you know everything, and then after, by the time they become teenagers, you don't know anything. And then later on, you get wise again. I don't understand how that works. It's the same person, same parent, um, but the perspective changes, doesn't it? And so the question is, What is wisdom? Wisdom is the skill to achieve the most perfect ends by the most perfect means. Okay, we've, you've heard it said that the end justifies the means. The implication is that the end may be perfect, but the means may not be. Well, with God, they are always perfect. The Perfect end done by the perfect means. And that's, not, that's sometimes the most difficult part of all this. We know we want to do this, but in order to do this, we might have to compromise on this. No, God never has to compromise on perfect means in order to accomplish his perfect ends. And so here's some more principles of God's wisdom. God works with flawless precision because God sees the end from the beginning and he never needs to back up. God never says, oh, oops, didn't mean for that to happen. He never has to get out a, uh, you know the carpenter saying, right? Measure twice, cut once. God never has to measure even more than once. He measures once, cuts once, and never has to go back and get another piece of wood. He knows the beginning from the ending. Also, wisdom in, wisdom in the Bible is different from wisdom on earth in that the Bible wisdom has a moral connotation. It is high and holy, full of love and purity. And here's an example of how we have to talk about God's characteristic, or attribute of wisdom in connection with His holiness his purity, his goodness. Because it, every time you make a decision, there is a moral effect. How do you... You've, you've said, oh, that's, that's a very good decision. Well, as soon as you say something, a decision is good, then you've linked some kind of moral, something moral to it. What we usually mean is, that's good for me, or good for the situation, and that too is a moral uh, statement. How many of you have ever... Um, you ever hear those stories where someone tells that something really bad happened oh that's bad no actually that was good because then this happened or the other way around that was great well, actually no and the classic example of the latter would be someone who wins the lottery and then their life goes into a tailspin okay. and so God's never saying oh that's bad how do I fix it we do that we all do it all the time that's good or that's bad but from God's point of view he knows exactly what he's doing. How, how many of you have seen the movie Prince of Egypt? Okay, and you know the tapestry song? You know, looking, Look at life through heaven's eyes, through God's eyes. We look at the back. Got, we don't see what's going on in our life. He's looking at our whole lives, and he understands that which is good and that which is bad and that which will bring him glory. And we don't have that perspective unless we seek his wisdom, and that's what, what it is we really need to seek to do. So... Uh, What we need to do is, first of all, we need to desire it. Do you even desire to know God's wisdom? Or are you just happy to do it on your own? I can do it on my own, thank you very much, Lord. Do we desire his wisdom? Secondly, um, and these are all principles from Proverbs 3 that we read a little while ago. It's evidenced in creation. We read in there, especially towards the end of the passage, how creation reveals God's wisdom. By his understanding, by his wisdom, he created things. And uh, thirdly, wisdom does not resist discipline. This is similar to the passage in Hebrews where, how do you feel when God disciplines you? Children, how do you feel when your parents discipline you? Do you recognize the wisdom behind that discipline if, in fact, your parents are living out God's wisdom? Wisdom is seen in obedience. Wisdom yields to God, and then wisdom is (laughs) life-giving. There's a moral connotation there. Again, and it is life-giving not only to yourself. You see all, the, see all the blessings in that passage in Proverbs 3. If you find wisdom and you live wisely, then you will be blessed. I mean, that's the whole book of Proverbs, right? Do this and be blessed. Don't do this and be cursed. Also, back in Deuteronomy, when they're on the two sides of the mountain, follow me, obey me, and you will be blessed. Disobey me, and you will be cursed. Okay. It's not rocket science. But do we have God's wisdom? And more importantly, do we follow God's wisdom? So as I mentioned earlier, perfect ends and perfect means when it comes to characteristics of God's wisdom. I'm just going to list a few things here and then um, put a little application to this. Uh, wisdom gives perfect perspective. Um, turn to James chapter 1, if you will. James chapter 1. Here's James and um, writing to... I mean, he was the pastor in Jerusalem. I'm going to insert my little missions part here, if you will. Anyone remember Acts 1.8? When, Jesus, when, when they were, the disciples were told by Jesus, you will be my witnesses. You shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses. Where? Judea, Samaria. I mean, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and are the most part of the world. And so they left right away, right? No, they stayed there in Jerusalem. So if you take Acts one eight and flip it around Acts eight one, it says, "And a great persecution arose, and so they were scattered to Judea and Samaria." And now the Holy Spirit basically said to them, "Fine, let me help you by moving you to where God wants you to go." And there, take the God. And so now they've been scattered, and here's their pastor James writing to them. And I'm going to read just the first six verses here, or eight verses says, James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations' greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to, uh, to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea being blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. And so you look at verse 5 and you think, wait, well, how did he go from talking about being joyful in trials and tribula- trials and asking for wisdom? This is one of the key points I want you to, if you take nothing else, this is probably one of the, at least for me, let me say, most impactful statements is when I see God's wisdom in my trials, I am seeing them from His perspective. So when something terrible happens, how many times do we say, why, God, why did this happen? And you know, that's the exact question we should be asking. God, help me to see your perspective in this difficulty. What are you doing here that I don't yet see? Okay, okay. For me, um, Tozer had a very famous quote that was quoted to me once. It was, God never uses a man greatly until he breaks him deeply. And it was 15 years ago now that our would have been fifth daughter, our fifth daughter was born prematurely in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and died and um, lived just a couple of minutes, didn't have the lung capacity to survive. And it was soon after that that my pastor at the time quoted that Saying to me, and I remember thinking, if this is the price that would be asked of me so that God could use me deeply, I would never, in my own wisdom or understanding, choose that. In the deepest, darkest time of my life when my daughter died, I wasn't thinking, God, I sure hope that you do this so that you can use me for your purposes later on. No. At that point, to be honest, what I drew upon most of all was his goodness. God, you are good. All the time, you are good, and he is good all the time. I had to stand firm on that one. But as we start to look at his perspective and we start to ask in these difficult times in our lives, God, help me to see this from your perspective. What I'm really asking is for his wisdom, for his mind in this. Some of you are going through some deep times right now. Ask that question. God, what are you doing? What do you want to do in me and through me? What's going on? Help me to see this from your perspective. So that when we, we don't get to that, oh, that's bad, and he's actually saying, no, that's good. Let me show you soon how it will be good. Some of you are on the other side thinking, I am so enjoying a blessed life right now. And, he, and God's saying, yeah, I'm really sorry about that. Because when you're enjoying a very good life right now, you're thinking about me less. And so I'm going to bring something into your life that will have you come back to me a little bit, perhaps. So as James, we want to see what is God, God help me to have wisdom about what you're doing in this situation. Help me to have your perspective, God's perfect pr- perspective. Next, it's beyond our understanding. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, or at the end of Romans chapter 11, you know, for your ways are not my ways. Your ways are so beyond my understanding, there's no way that I can understand him. And that's okay. But I can draw from his wisdom because it's not limited as my understanding is. Next one. Um, it is, wisdom is given by God. Think of Solomon. Because you did not ask for riches, because you did not ask for this and this, because you only asked for wisdom on how to rule these people, I'm going to give you that wisdom, but I'm also going to give you those other things. And God was so impressed with Solomon asking for wisdom. And it was given, And then also you find other verses uh, in Proverbs and others where God gives us wisdom. Here's James again in chapter 1, ask for wisdom, and he will give it to you. Not only will he give it to you, he'll give it to you liberally. I'm waiting for you to ask, and I'm going to throw not just as much as you need, I'm going to give you so much more wisdom, I just need you to come and ask me for wisdom. Some of you have a prayer room or a prayer, prayer closet or somewhere that you go to that you like to pray, I have a prayer swing um, on our, in our backyard. I've had a prayer swing in our 12 years in Thailand, and now uh, the two different places that we've lived here. In fact, yesterday, just yesterday, I got a new prayer swing. My wife gave me a prayer swing for, well, it was one of those, you know how it is, because of finances, it's a Christmas, birthday, whatever else happens this year kind of gift. Okay, so Picked it up yesterday. And it's so nice to have but my prayer swing is very precious to me because I get on there and I can look at our house, I can look we actually live right next to campus, LBC, and I can look at campus and pray over campus and my students and our family. And one of the things I need to remember and remind myself often is that when I pray, before I start praying to God about people, I need to stop and listen to God talk to me about them. And I need to receive from God more than inform him what of what I think he needs to know. And I just need to sit and be. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. He will give. Next, wisdom is proven right by actions and words. Just as the most any other attribute. It's not enough to have this within me. It will be seen. If I am wise, it will be seen by others. By what I do and what I say. Oftentimes in my classroom, uh, my students will talk about, they'll say nicely Nice things about how I'm giving nice information or even wisdom once in a while in class. But when they sit in my office, oftentimes I'll hear them thank me for the wisdom that I've shared with them. Now, for me, what I hear is, you're older than I am, (laughs) and you've been around longer than I have. And a lot of wisdom comes simply by experience and learning. But wisdom, what they mean is, you're helping me make decisions that I need to make. Proverbs has some great verses about wisdom and what we say. One of my favorites is, even the fool is considered wise when he remains silent. Think about it. When words are many, sin is not far. There are some great verses in Proverbs about what, when to speak and when not to speak. And oftentimes, we, would, we err on speaking too much. I'm going through the book of Job right now. A classic example of people saying uh, many things that they really had no wisdom, or demonstrating no wisdom. So what about us? How do we get wisdom? First of all, desire. Read God's Word. You want to get God's wisdom? Read His Word. He's already given us the manual. It's a prayer, as I've already mentioned. Uh, keep perspective. Life is short. Um, come to Jesus. Okay, now these are all nice Bible uh, school or Sunday school answers. You know, we often joke in class, uh, ask a question, and they'll say, Jesus! Yes, I know that's the Sunday school answer, but, you know, sometimes the Sunday school answer is the right answer. And there's something profound about saying, come to Jesus. The question for you is, what does that look like for you? Whether it be going on a prayer swing, uh, kneeling by the side of your bed, sitting in in your favorite chair, where is it that you specifically can come to Jesus and hear from him? Um. So what does it look like? How do we live this out? Uh, First of all, in making decisions. That's the obvious one, making wise decisions. Some of you have very large decisions in front of you, who you're going to marry, where you're going to study, uh, whether to put the fertilizer on today, is it going to rain tomorrow or not. Some decisions are big, some decisions are small. I don't know that God's waiting for me to pray whether or not to to wear sandals or shoes to church today. There are some things he's given us common sense to make, But there are decisions where he's waiting for us to say, hey, I'm just waiting to give you my wisdom. Would you take a moment and look for my wisdom and listen for me to speak into your life? Making decisions. Secondly, in accepting trials with God's perspective, as I already talked about with James 1, are you looking at your life situations from God's perspective? Do you have his wisdom regarding that? And then thirdly, in deciding how to serve others. When it comes to uh, God's wisdom and his holiness and his love and his mercy and all these different attributes, we have to begin with, God, what is it? What does it mean to me? But we have to always end it with, how do I live this out to others? How would you live out God's wisdom to others? um, For example, do I serve them in this way or do I serve them in that way? On the mission field, this becomes a very big question. Because you come into a place and you say, I don't know this culture very well. I need to be here and be a learner for a while and understand who they are and what they're doing and how I can have an impact. All too many times, someone will come and join a missionary team and they're saying, aren't you glad I'm here to clean up all your mistakes? Those of you who work in a team environment, you know that every time you add someone to the team, that new team member, if he or she is wise, will come with humility and become a learner. So it is with us. We need to move into a situation, whether it be overseas or across the street, <coughs> and ask ourselves, God, God, what do I need to learn here? How do I learn about them so that I can wisely decide how to serve them? Great example in, um, in a book called, uh, in uh, Dwayne Elmer's book, Cross-Cultural Servanthood. It starts out with the story of the monkey and the fish. This monkey's in the tree, and the island that they're on is flooding, and he sees this river flowing, getting higher and higher, and he sees this fish swimming upstream. Trying, and it, the monkey thinks to himself, that poor fish, it's struggling so much, I'm going to help it. And he reaches down and picks up the fish and puts it on dry land, and he sees the fish flopping around. He says, oh, look how happy that fish is. And after a while, he relaxes. Oh, look how relaxed he is now. And the monkey had served the fish in the monkey's wisdom without understanding the fish's true need how many times have we unwisely served others at their expense because we haven't taken the time to think what is that person's true need and who knows that person's true need better than God God help me to see this person or these people as you see them Help me to see me as you see me and what you've given me to serve so that I can wisely decide how to serve, maybe even your own family, your parents, your siblings, your older or younger relatives. What are their needs right now, Lord, and what can I do and what can I not do? Help me to recognize my limitations so that I'm not just trying to do something. Sometimes we try to serve because we know we have to do something And we feel that doing something is better than doing nothing. And sometimes doing nothing could be the best thing to do for that person. One more quote from Tozer here. Let me get it all in there. With the goodness of God, with the goodness of God to desire our highest welfare. Okay, First of all, do you believe that? Does God desire your highest welfare? Yes, he does. The wisdom of God to plan it if he helps me to plan things, then I know it from him. And the power of God to achieve it, what do we lack? Surely we are the most favored of all creatures. Drawing upon different attributes of God. His omniscience. He knows all things. When we look at our limit, with our limited perspective, we draw upon his knowledge, his omnipresence, his goodness, his wisdom, his love. Is you can fill in the blank with so many of the other attributes depending on the situation. What do I lack? What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. How enjoyable it is to serve him by serving others in a God-directed, God-empowering, God-honoring way. I, uh, some of you are familiar with the five love languages, right? You've heard of that before, some of you? Uh, my, my love language, number one, um, when I take the assessment, is words of affirmation. But the danger with that is that I will sometimes do things in order to get words of affirmation. And that's a very dangerous place to be. You know, if I will do something in order to get, then my re- the only thing I should be seeking to get is God's glory, in, not, not for me, but when I do something, it's so that God will get glory, so that God will be honored, so that people will be pointed to God. In the, uh, some of you have probably seen that video or the uh, the skit guys. They make several vi- different videos. One of them is called "Chisel the Chisel," and and the one guy says, "When you look in the mirror, who do you see? Well, I see me. We well, see that's the problem. We want people to see Jesus, not you." And as we exercise God's wisdom and as we serve others in a God-honoring way, they will see the God who gives us that wisdom, the God who gives us that love, the God who gives us what we need to serve others. May God give you wisdom. And may the first bit of wisdom be, I need God's wisdom. I do not know everything that I need to know. And wisdom is lived out in actions and in, in, in words. Father, I pray that today you would help us in increasing measure recognize our limits. Also recognize what you have given us. You have blessed us in so many different ways and we thank you for that. I pray that you would help us to um, see our circumstances with your perspective, your wisdom. That which is good will sometimes take us away from you. Help us to see that and draw near to you. Those things which are difficult you are sometimes using to draw us close to you. Help us to see your perspective. Even more so, Lord, help us to see the opportunities in front of us, to love the people, to serve the people that you bring into our lives here and abroad. Help us to live out the wisdom that you give us as we seek it on a daily basis. In Jesus' name.